90 days. Nice. The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. special correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And welcome to the program, everybody. It is Wednesday, June 29th, 2022, and we're broadcasting live in Detroit on WNZK AM 690 and Washington, D.C. on WDMV AM 700. Uh, we will rebroadcast Thursday, uh, 7 a.m. in Detroit, again on WNZK AM 690 and in Chicago at 12 noon on 1080 a.m. Um, today, we're going to focus on two issues. Later during the program, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk with Shadden Malley. She's the Chief District Affairs Director for uh, Congresswoman Marie Newman, who was elected in 2020 to represent the 3rd Congressional District, which, by the way, was the one district that had the largest concentration of Palestinian American voters, according to the New York Times. Unfortunately, yesterday in the Illinois Democratic primary, the De Democrats shoved her into a uh, face off with another Democrat, uh, more centrist Democratic Congressman Sean Kasten. And Kasten did defeat Newman, who probably was one of the Midwest, in addition to uh, several other uh, congresswomen like Betty McCollum and Ilhan Omar. Uh, one of the, one of the biggest champions of Palestinian rights. So we'll talk to Shadden about that and also other races in the Illinois election at the bottom of the hour. Right now, though, I want to introduce our first guest, Samer Califf. He is the national president of the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee. He's held that post since 2013. Um, he served as the interim ADC legal director in 1997, um, and he started out, I think, as an intern in 1996. Um, I didn't realize how young you were, uh, Samer. Yes. Um, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Ray. Yes, yeah. it's my long history with ADC, but I'm happy to be uh, with the organization. Well, ADC is a great organization. I remember I was there when it was founded. I always like to say that because we're talking about back in 80. What was it? 88 or something like that? 1980. Oh my gosh. Time is oh, flying fast. You're dating yourself. Oh my gosh. Don't I? Well, then call me, when they call me a veteran journalist and commentator, that means I'm just old now. That's all it means. <laughs> hey. So ADC deals with some of the biggest uh, uh, discrimination cases that uh, challenge the Arab American and Arab Muslim community. And I wanted to bring uh, Sam Ron. You just got through with a big convention in Washington that was very successful, by the way. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, I know that one of the topics, of course, was the challenges that Arab Americans continue to face in terms of discrimination in this country. Give us kind of an overview of how serious those challenges are. And I know that you had mentioned something earlier that we could talk about, too, about how COVID 
really impacted this in a really unusual way. So yeah. what's the status with discrimination? Well, well, COVID, uh, COVID um, sort of uh, reoriented the nature of, uh, of discrimination and of, uh, uh, and of hate going around the country. Um, we saw a lot of it specifically towards the Asian American community, you know, with them being sort of labeled as the, you know, the, the creators or the perpetuators right. of the, the, the virus itself. So we saw, saw a lot of that happening. But we also, um, and a lot of it had to do with uh, the whole uh, January 6th, the whole, uh, you know, the whole movement around Trump with the Proud Boys um, and, and, and whatnot and the Oath Keepers and the rise of the sort of the white supremacy movement or the white nationalist movement. So we're seeing a lot more, I think, of the more dangerous uh, form of discrimination. And that's what those uh, um, forms that are associated with, with violence and, and actual physical harm. So we saw a lot more of that, a lot less of the traditional uh, sort of discrimination regarding, um, you know, uh, employment discrimination and one, not only because um, sort of COVID, um, because everybody was working from home and, and, you know, the whole way people America worked and got their work done changed during COVID. So we saw uh, less of that, but more, more or less the, the, the more violent uh, form and extremist form of uh, discrimination occurring, unfortunately. So, so those groups that we've seen kind of, you know, the country over the last several years has been polarized. Uh, there's like this big gap with only a few people in the middle. You're either mm -hmm. far left or, or left or far right or right. Um, and uh, that kind of breeds conflict, doesn't it? And that empowers, do you think, that political divide? Does it empower these racist groups to feel that they can do whatever they want to anybody? Well, what we saw, um, you know, specifically uh, around the Trump administration, sort of a normalization of a lot of this, uh, the extremist activity on one uh, on one side, and then of course you had the backlash from the other side. Um, we saw a lot of things, you know, the, the Floyd murder, um, a lot of things that happened out of Georgia, a lot of things happening across the country, um, and 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 people had had enough. Uh, and I think a lot of it was sort of the, the you know the, you know as an Arab, I hate to use the term, but the the straw that that broke the camel's back. Um, and and we saw a lot of that. And, and under the Trump with the Trump administration and, and his rhetoric and his language, uh, we saw that a lot of uh, hate um, uh, geared towards Arabs and Muslims was was normalized. It, well, you know, if the president is using it and saying it, then and, and, and then it may be it must be OK. Um, and we saw that happen with the Arab and the Muslim ban. Uh, where, where he, he sort of pointed to the Arabs and the Muslims and said, those people are bad. We need to stop them from coming into this country. And, and I know he did that with Mexicans, too. He pointed to the border and he said, you know, I, and listen, I, at, before he ran or when he first ran, one of his best friends was Palestinian American, the guy that owned the uh, in Houston, the uh, um, hair uh, and I, Farouk Shami, great guy, just phenomenal guy. And there was this feeling that maybe he understood us. That went out the window pretty quick once he got into office and he became more politicized um, with. Uh, but there it seemed like there was going to be a hope that it really went downstream pretty fast. And it and it dragged everybody with him in terms, of especially Arabs, that we became really bad victims of his political uh, bigotry. Yeah, I think what, what, what ended up happening was he saw his his avenue of how to get into office. And that was the, you know, the way of sort of stirring up 
the emotions, whether they were positive or negative. He wanted to stir them up to sort of uh, create chaos. And through the chaos, he could he could then um, win the election. And, that, and I think part of it was at the beginning, he didn't think he was going to win. So he said and did the most outrageous things. And and it it it, it worked. It got and him he support going. Yeah. Yeah, that was terrible. But go go back to the covid thing, because that's an interesting thing I'd never thought about. Um, it's hard to uh, discriminate against somebody like you and I talking on face on uh, Zoom uh, with your pet, by the way. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. That's OK. We love live radio verite. I'm telling you, we love it. It gives uh, real human contact to the news stories. Yes. But um, it uh, COVID kind of separated us a little bit, didn't it? You would think that there would be a reduction in the incidence of racial discrimination, but that's not the case, is it? Well, well, it, it, it kind of changed. I don't, I, I don't want to say it, it reduced. It, it, it changed and transformed the landscape. So we did see uh, issues regarding our own businesses. We saw other problems develop because of COVID, and a lot of that had to do more or less with our community unable to sort of fully tap all the benefits that the federal government and state government is offering to the individuals, and, and some of that um, dealt uh, was because of. Our lack of our own lack of knowledge. Some of it was because of a, a, a barrier to, to the language, language barriers, and some of it was the fact that 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 as in a community, we're not recognized. I mean, we're still classified as white, right? So we were we weren't just we were by definition not even um, not even able to get some of those benefits uh, by definition. Yeah, and I in fact one of my columns that I wrote today for the Arab News was actually about that whole thing about the census. And that's been a battle that we've been fighting going back all the way to the 80s. I remember being before on census. Yeah, even before that, I remember being on census committees working to get us to be recognized. It's never happened fully to our satisfaction. We've never been equalized with all the other groups. And we've lost a lot, haven't we, over the years that not being in the census undermines your empowerment, I think. Well, it, it, it goes beyond that. I mean, it's it's not that it's not that just that we lost things. We, we just never got anything that, that we are entitled. So so what, what, what a lot of things is, is what people don't understand is not just the financial aspect. Right. There hasn't been a National Institute of Health study done on the Arab American community ever. And the reason why is because there are no uh, reliable data that that can be used in a study uh, because we're not counted. We're, we've become the invisible minority the invisible uh, community. Um, so, so there are things other than just financials that we're not getting. Uh, we don't know what our COVID uh, infectious rates were. We don't know um, what the percentage of our community is vaccinated because that data is simply not collected. So it, it, it's beyond just financial detriment to our community. We've, we, we lost a lot of stuff just that we weren't even, uh, we don't even realize, I think. It isn't being uh, excluded from the census then really a form of discrimination. It's just another form of discriminating against us. Absolutely. It's discrimination because it's basically keeping us out of a lot of the programs that we think we could, we're entitled to. And moreover, it's, it's kind of, again, it's, it's, it's treating us as, as we don't exist, right. literally as we don't exist at all within this country. And I think that's, that's the uh, biggest problem that we have. And for listeners, just so they understand as uh, my guest, Samer Khalif, who is the national president of the um, American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, ADC, a great organization, 
um, one of the other benefits besides funding, and I, I pay taxes, you pay taxes, our money goes to the federal government, a portion of that is supposed to come back to us and help us, but we don't get it because we're not recognized. It gets thrown into the bigger pot because, as you said, we're identified as being white, but it also undermines our political empowerment because if there's a cohesive Palestinian or Egyptian or Syrian community someplace with a sizable population that the census identifies, the government is required to not divide them. Mm -hmm. They're required to put them in a district so that they can have a stronger voice. They've done that with Hispanics. They, they do that with Asians. They create congressional districts based on the minorities that are identified in the census. Not counting us, as you said, uh, eliminates us. It's like erasing us well, 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 from that well, whole I mean, process. Well, l l let's look at the prime examples. Dearborn. Um, Dearborn is a majority Arab city within the United States. But when the census issued its data for redistricting, it defined Dearborn as 90 percent white. <laughs> OK, so right. So even in a city there, everybody I look at it as the Plymouth Rock. I like to think of Chicago as Plymouth Rock in the Arab community, but we'll give it to Dearborn. They have this huge population and they they slice and dice, not based on keeping Arabs together. Right. Exactly. Because because uh, because what, when when the state does do the slicing and dicing, the data it gets from the census doesn't show Arabs. It shows Dearborn is 90 percent white, so it can slice and dice it however it wants to. Yeah, that's terrible. Now, I, and I, I know that ADC is part of the movement to get us recognized by the census. There's one issue I've always had, uh, and, it, and it's not a, it's a it's just a discussion issue because I'm Arab. I want to be I, I'm a four letter word to a lot of people, but I want to be a positive four letter word. Um, I, I don't personally I don't like the term Mina because to me it sounds like a way to OK, people have been taught to dislike Arabs through hundreds of movies over the years. You go to a movie, every bad guy and terrorist is an Arab. You hear the word Arab, you think bad things. Um, is Mina an effort to go around that perception? Because I think it kind of, in my opinion, that's just my opinion. Yeah, sure. It weakens us as an Arab community. It's like another way to keep us from being strong. What, what do you think of that? Well, I, I got I got more bad news for you, Ray. Now there's a third one out there, and that's oh, no. Swana. Say, say that again. What is it? There's a third one out there called Swana, uh, Southwest Asia, because uh, the Mina kind of, uh, connotation for a lot of people is very colonialistic because it's Middle East, middle to what? Middle East and North Africa, right? Yeah, yeah, Middle East towards. But again, it's 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 sort of through the through the eyes of Europe. Right. So they said, no, we should be Swana because we're Southwest uh, of Asia, uh, Southwest Asia. Defined so by them, one. defined yeah, yeah. by them, by the by the people who look at us and discriminate against well, us. Right. Well, well, no, no. It's supposedly that's supposed to be more uh, PC because we're defining it in retrospect to Asia, not in retrospect to the that, that's a different argument. So basically what, what it came down to between a, uh, Arab and, and Middle East had had more to do with a compromise than anything else. Right. Because the last go around we had the, the, the census threw it in our face that we couldn't even agree what to call ourselves. So therefore, they're not we're just they're not going to change the status quo. So it, it was a, a, a compromise category uh, because what uh, 
Middle East uh, or, or MENA includes a lot of the sort of the, uh, the ethnically distinct minority communities within the Middle right. East. Right. The Armenians that are not uh, Arab, the, the, the non-Arabs, but uh, Chaldeans, you know, the Chaldeans, for example. Correct. So it, it was a way sort of to be more inclusive and it was uh, a way to sell the sense. OK, fine. Let's just get around this this craziness, because ultimately the bigger issue is not necessarily what we call ourselves, but that we're accounted. Right. Would you be against the idea of being Arab slash Mina? Because I really want people to know Arab. I'm going to leave this world always knowing that I've been fighting all my life to be an Arab and they only identify me as an Arab when they hate me. They never identify me as an Arab when we do positive things. Are the ADC's uh, um, always number one preference is Arab. Um, That's always been the case. And and we use the term and we'll use the term, continue the term Arab in the future. Our biggest, again, what we thought the mo- the big picture was that 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 as long as we are counted as a separate and distinct group, Arab, Mina, Swana, we, we just need to be counted. We're kind of up against a brick wall then in a bureaucracy that is making us hard to get there. You know, they claim yeah. that we're divided, but that's because we've been separated for so many years. We don't get any support um, We're victimized. They create a situation where we become weak and spread out and fighting with each other. We Um, want the issue. We want the issue to be to to be transformed away from what to be uh, to be to be used to be to to uh, to to us to be that we are counted. You know, let's let's step aside as to what we're going to use, what terms we're going to use and at least least get the issue of being counted uh, done and, and, and out of the way. And so that's why we as an organization said, fine. If it's going to be Mina, as long as we're counted, we're okay with that. All right, that makes that makes a lot of sense. That's that's uh, it's just great to hear you explain that uh, to people. And I know that Chaldeans, a lot of them say they're not Arab. I respect that. Assyrians, same way, they say they're not Arab. I respect that, but they do embrace Arab culture. They eat the same food. They speak the language, you know, with us. And the most important thing is the people around us look at us and they don't see a difference mm-hmm, between exactly. you and me, Palestinians, Chaldeans. We're all Arab to them and Middle Eastern. They don't care. So I, it would be nice. What's the odds? What are the chances that something is going to happen in your opinion? This happens every 10 years. So it's a it long... happens every 10. Let me, let me say this. Um, it happened every 10 years and we were 99% there at the last census, it was a done deal. The census uh, has did all of their uh, studies. And, you know, before this, the census will study something to death before they do it. Is this a comma? Is this a period? Should we put it here? They will study everything. To, and every one of their studies was saying, yes, the most efficient, accurate way to count is to include a category for Mina. That was it. Well, it was mean or Arab, but the, the, right. that was the most uh, opportune way to, to, to do it. The problem happened um, is when the Trump administration took over. And that's when everything sort of got sort of uh, confused, tangled up, um, went into chaos, you know, however, whatever term you want to use. Um, and at the end, the census says, you know what, we're just going to go back to the original way we did it. 
10 years ago. Um, so so I, I, chances are, the, uh, are that it's going to happen. It's a matter of time, but we need to be vigilant. We need to uh, hold the uh, census and the OMB. Don't forget about OMB is an important player in this Office of Management and Budget because OMB is the one that defines the classification. Um, and we need to hold their feet to the fire and say, this was a done deal. You were going to do it, if not for the, uh, the former administration. And, you know, there are other things that because we're so focused in fighting for our rights, there are, you know, I, there are things that sometimes we don't see, but we learn about, for example, in Illinois. And I know that you're doing this on a federal level, but in Illinois, they they have a program called the Minority Business Enterprise, Women Business Enterprise. Uh, every there must be four hundred billion dollars in contracts that go out. I don't even know the total amount in Illinois. It's huge. And they set aside 30 percent of all that money for individuals and groups that are recognized as a quote unquote minority. Um, and they're auto- they get the first shot at it and they divide it up and they ensure that blacks, uh, uh, Hispanics, uh, uh, women, uh, and a number of other groups that they get their share of that 30% of all those billions of dollars, which is our tax money, your money, my money, we put it in the pool, but you and I don't get any because they don't consider us as a minority. There's an effort in in Illinois to, they introduced the law, um, Chris Welsh, the new speaker of the house and Sarah uh, Nichols, the state representative, uh, they want us to be recognized as a minority in terms of getting that business. But I understand you're doing it at a national level, right? Yeah, we've, we've actually, this, this is an old campaign. We, we've, been, we've been doing this for quite some time. And we, what we did was we, we uh, proffered a, a brief, a legal brief to the Biden administration to get a minority business uh, res, uh, designation under the Minority Business Development Authority, which is a uh, sort of an incubator group for, for minority businesses. Um, and, and at the time, um, they, they didn't give it to us. Um, and so we, we, of course, that went dormant under the Trump administration. But we, as part of uh, our, our, uh, the, the new administration come in, we got them to at least uh, commit to, to, to looking at this. And so what we've been doing is we've been trying to get the administration to get Arab Americans declared as a, a minority business to be entitled to a, a lot of programs that we, we should have gotten during COVID. And because we didn't get them, a lot of our businesses uh, you know, went bankrupt, went under. And, and, and had we been given that designation, we could have saved a lot of them. And, and, and it, just to kind of tie it back into the census, one of the pushbacks we're getting from the federal government is that there is no statistics or there's no numbers as to how right. many Arab American businesses are there, where are they located, are they successful? So, so they want to know from us, do we have issues getting loans? Right. Uh, are, are we getting uh, our, our interest rates higher than others because of discrimination? Th- that, that, uh, that information is not available. So they actually went to us and charged us, the federal government charged us to go out and to collect that information. So the ADC right now is doing a study. Not, uh, we're trying to collect data and we're asking um, Arab American business owners from all over the country to, uh, to fill out a, um, a questionnaire that we have on, on our website, which is on adcri.org. Uh, business owners can go there and fill out a questionnaire. Again, it's, it, it'll be anonymous, 
So you know, you know, nobody knows who they are, but at least we can now uh, get the data and take that data to the government and say, hey, look, here's the data we have for you. Now give us the minority business designation. Yeah, I, I was uh, I did a spotlight for Arab News on the Arab businesses that were targeted by the mayor of Chicago for closure um, because she thought somehow that that would make her, in my opinion, and the opinions of the businesses that it would make her look like she's doing something about street gangs. And of course, she's been criticized for not doing enough. So shutting us down made it look like, aha, she did something. Um, one of the problems we had, though, was we don't know how many Arab businesses there are in Chicago. There's no, as you point out, there's no data. The government should be providing that data and saying, oh, you have 6,000 Arab businesses in Chicago. We had to do a, 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 a count of our own. Um, and we managed to identify between 50 and 150 businesses that were impacted. But because the city doesn't identify you as an Arab business, we can't find the paperwork to even verify any of that. It does hold us back, doesn't it? Uh, it, it absolutely. Um, it, absolutely. Because again, this is this is also this is also part of our, our of our political power issue as well. Because if we have numbers, if we can say to a, a member of Congress or to a city council or listen, we represent 150 businesses within your district, you need to listen to us. That's 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 some power there. But but again, we can't do that. So again, uh, also goes back to the idea that we don't have we're an underserved community when it comes to resources regarding family so services, regarding issues regarding domestic abuse, regarding issues regarding mental health treatment. Why? Because there are no culturally competent and linguistically competent uh, organizations that 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 do work to our community because we don't know and we're not giving the resources. So because we're not giving the resources, because we can't say there are X number of, of, of Arab Americans living in Chicago. Now we need to get our fair share of, of the money. Without that, we're not going to get that, that, that money or, and nor are we going to get the services and we desperately need. And I know over the years, I've, uh, it, it's always the number of how many Arabs in America there are has floated between one and a half, 1.5 million to 3 million to 4.5 million. I personally think there are a lot more. We have bigger families than a lot of people. We are not counted. There are a lot of Arabs that assimilate simply because it's easier not to deal with the issues of being discriminated against. So they go beyond the identification. Um, it's, it seems to be easier to identify Muslims because of the, some of the way they dress and because of the congregations at mosques, which, which stand out. Um, but listen, I know we're coming to the end of the time. And Samer, I have to say it, it is always uh, a real pleasure to talk to you. It's always I learn things and I've been covering this stuff 45 years. I learn things every time I talk to you, every time I participate in ADC. Um, and for those businesses out there, I just want to remind them that website. Go there, fill out the form at adcri.org. And uh, to get information on the ADC, it's adc.org, correct? Correct. That is correct. Any final thoughts before we say thank you again for joining us and sharing your insight into these issues? I'll just just like to point out uh, one last thing. You know, in this country, um, you know, we, 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 we celebrate those communities that hold on to their heritage and hold on to their culture. The Italian-Americans, the Irish-Americans, the Mexican-Americans. And we as a community 
not, uh, need to do the same, but we also need to shout out loud of who we are and, and, and be proud of identifying as Arab Americans as well. Yeah. So I mean, with that, absolutely. I thank you every, for everything you've done to, to bring uh, light onto this uh, subject. Samer, ADC, and you make us proud. Thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to talking to you again. I wish there were no controversial subjects so we could just have a nice conversation about culture and light things. But we are under siege, I think. And we need to talk about things and educate our community. Samer Califf, the national president of the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, uh, joining us here at the, the Ray Hanania Show. Thank you so much, Samer. Thank you. Have you a great day. We'll talk and have a great Fourth of July. Thank you. And Eid also coming up in about a week and a half. Thank you. All right, buddy. All right. Um, this is the Ray Hanania Show. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Shadden Malley, who was the uh, former or is, I apologize. She is the uh, chief of district affairs for Congresswoman Marie Newman, who unfortunately lost her election to uh, Sean Caston in yesterday's uh, Democratic primary. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back right after these messages. Okay. Arabnews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at Arabnews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. Arabnews.com, news that matters to you. <clears throat> Imagine you're on a train track somewhere miles away. A train is headed your way. You can't see it yet, but it's coming slowly but surely. If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may be on the wrong track and diabetes could be heading your way. Bit by bit, the danger is getting closer and closer. So should you stay on the track you're on now or move to make a change and reduce your risk? If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may qualify for the National Diabetes Prevention Program in your local community. This one-year program could be the ongoing support you need to put you on the right track. Not only did participants lose weight, they cut their risk of type 2 diabetes in half. Ready to get on board for a healthier future? Learn more about the National Diabetes Prevention Program and what else you can do to manage and prevent diabetes at michigan.gov diabetes. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Five-year-old Lila and her mom are on their way home from grandma's, singing Lila's favorite song. A few blocks away, 25-year-old Dylan is visiting friends at a small party. He finishes off his last beer, gets in his truck, and starts for home. Mom and Lila turn onto Maple Street. So does Dylan. Every 50 minutes in the United States, someone dies in a crash involving a driver impaired. Drive. Drive sober. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. 
Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali Abagdadi and Fatty Bonham serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali Abagdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all CDC guidelines and is open every day, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. special correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And welcome back to the radio show. We had a great discussion with uh, Samer Caliph, uh, the national president of ADC, on the census, on discrimination, the impact of COVID, and uh, even the uh, effort to uh, designate Arabs as a minority uh, to qualify for minority business enterprises in different states and federally. So I'm very, you know, excited about some of the things that they're doing. I, I, I got to tell you, the person that I'm on the line with was very instrumental in getting uh, Marine Newman elected uh, in 2020. And I have to say, Marine Newman has been more pro-Palestinian than a lot of Palestinians I know. Shad Malley, I have you as the chief of district affairs for Congresswoman Marine Newman, who was elected in 2020 to represent the third congressional district, which the New York Times said had the largest concentration of Palestinian, American and Arab voters in the country out of all 435 districts. And I know when we interviewed Marie, she had talked about how that was going to expand in the sixth district. Unfortunately, Marie didn't win. What happened with that? Hi, Ray. Thank you for having me on. Um... So today I'm here in my personal capacity. So, you know, on the official side, yes. that, uh, that's, you know, I'm a public servant. But today I'm here as a community leader. And, um, you know, I have advised uh, the campaign, worked very closely with uh, Marie on important issues uh, for our community. So you're, you're right. She has been amazing on our issues, on, on our pro-peace, pro-justice issues. Um, she really came to uh, the table um, and, and represented us on, 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 on the things that we cared about. Um, so in terms of what happened, I mean, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I just, I think when you speak honestly about the issue of um, Palestine and Israel and, and you're critical of some of the policies that, that Israel has uh, uh, implemented, um, you are demonized. And um, I don't think that's fair. And um, I, I think that that some some uh, PACs tend to see that as an attack on, on Israel when it's really just an attack on, on some of the discriminatory policies. Yeah, I listen, I criticize our government all the time. Nobody ca calls me 
anti-American or unpatriotic. I criticize the Republicans. I criticize Democrats. Why is it that we're anti-Semitic when we criticize Israel's government? You know, it just doesn't seem right. I and mean, you're we, absolutely we, right. There, there well, are these. We can be critical uh, with our own government, right? We can we can criticize our government left and right. And we do it every day. It's our fundamental democratic right to do so. Uh, but for some reason, uh, this this whole anti-Semitic uh, label when yeah. when we are we, when we question or are critical of Israel in any way. All, all, anybody that is uh, pro peace, pro justice is is saying here in in our district and um, all over the country and the world is that we want um, we want rights to be recognized for everybody. Um, she, that that's all. She was being attacked from every direction by these anonymous. You know, they claim to be packs with names and everything, but when you really try to figure out who it is. It either traces back to Israeli pro-Israel activists who are getting money from, you know, a foreign country. Israel is a foreign country. You know, people yeah. don't understand that. And uh, it, it seemed like she was and they pummeled her about the Middle East and Palestine. And they and it seemed like they took the focus off of all the major progressive issues that touch American lives and voters every day that, you know, Palestine is just a small part of her agenda, an important one, but it wasn't her. Yeah, she was um, really just being progressive on every issue, both uh, locally and domestically, as well as um, uh, abroad, overseas. And it, not just with Palestine, also with, with the um, uh, fascism in India, the persecution on Muslims and um, minority religious groups in, in India as well. So this is, it's, it's, it, she really was the, um, the model for what it, what it means to be progressive on everything, N uh, not uh, excluding the Palestinian Israeli issue. She was progressive on everything. And that's why we all supported her. I mean, in the last stretch um, here, actually, gosh, during the last three years, our community has been behind her. Um, but the majority, uh, the majority of the community. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and um, as she has uh, really proven herself legislatively and uh, outspoken on the issues that we care about. Why? Again, it's because she's a representative for everybody, not just one group of people, but really for everybody. And um, I think anybody who disregards this issue or gets endorsements from groups like APEC and the Democratic Majority for Israel really don't understand this district and and um, if they want support in the long run that they really have to make sure that they come to the table and sit down and understand the, the fundamental um, uh, devaluing the dehumanization of the Palestinian people um, overseas and why everybody's is, is in, in an uproar and trying to make sure that the rights of the Palestinians are recognized because we can't have peace in the region. It's bad for both Israelis and the Palestinians when when there is this apartheid system that's that's working against um, the human rights of the Palestinian people in every facet of their life, in education, in healthcare, in, in their work setting, in, in every facet of their life, in, in their living conditions, um, uh, electricity rationing, water uh, uh, rationing, everything, every, every single uh, aspect of their life is affected. Um, so that's why we, we need to make sure we have people, especially here, that if they want our, our uh, votes and they want us to support them to, to represent us uh, fairly on this issue. 
And, and of course, I brought you on because uh, uh, Marie Newman's loss is devastating to this district and our community and the entire movement to bring justice. And nobody's saying to be anti-Israeli. We're saying to bring justice to Palestinians so we get treated fairly with the same respect everybody else gets. So I really brought you on as a political, a longtime political activist. I've known you for a long time. Uh, there are only a few people in our community. And, I, you know, it makes me feel sad to say this, that understand politics. Yeah. You know, it's an emotional thing to the majority of the community. Um, you know, they folks, a lot of them live here physically, but mentally they're back home. There's, there's only a handful of people that I can talk with and say, what happened in this election? And, uh, you know, I wanted you to come on to kind of, we can't avoid talking about, about what happened to Marie Newman, but I did want to look at all the races, but in the end, does it, was she that targeted by these PACs and by Democrats? It looked like yeah. the Democrats pushed her into that corner to force her out. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a, a multitude of factors that have contributed to her loss. And um, I mean, everything she knew that there was uh, going, of course, the census uh, every 10 years, we have the census and we do the legislative um, house in, in um, Illinois does the redistricting. And of course, who's behind that? It's the Mag Madigan machine. And she's right. been very good friends with uh, that group. Right. Right. Up until how long? Yeah. So she I'm starts speaking about Palestine. Well, right. I mean, I think it's it's Marie has been an anti status quo candidate and representative for everybody. I mean, right. really not. So they were you're saying they were against her. Yeah. Uh, even before the Palestine issue, because she was progressive. I think. Yes, exactly. The machine. They, the machine thought that she was too left leaning. Right. And um, and, uh, you know, here's the thing about Marie that I've, I've uh, come to learn and I've known about actually from from the very beginning. She's a pragmatist and she likes to, to problem solve and she'll sit and talk with anybody. Um, so it, it's it's not about um, it's really about progressive to me means uh, forward moving, solving problems, uh, not not necessarily left leaning just like getting to a, a place where we can move forward and recognize our problems and try to solve them. So uh, I think her being very pro-immigration, um, very, um, you know, her, her standpoint on, on healthcare, I, I think might have been a little too, too, too out there for, for the machine. <laughs> and, and, um, and I think also, I have to say this, uh, especially when you look at Congress uh, and the makeup of, of Congress, it's 27% women. And uh, I think there's still this this good good old boys club mentality, and yeah. um, and it's this this um, it's a familiarity um, over the time these relationships that that have developed with with people it's like a it's a it's a fraternity house almost and 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 if you're outside of that and if you're really focused on the interests of the people, uh, not corporate PACs, not special interest groups that that you know that are not um, in favor of human rights. I think that that hurts you in the long run in politics. I think we need to get the money out of politics. It shouldn't be about who raises the most money. It should be about who represents the people the best. Yeah, you're going to get pushback from the media, which profits from all that money. Um, they they thrive in conflict. Yeah. They thrive in political, you know, and I'm not trying to get you to attack the media. I'll do it. <laughs> I don't want to put you in that corner, but. Um, I've always believed that they should put a limit on how much a candidate could spend on a, a, a race 
to equalize the candidates so we could look at the issues rather than all these mailers and, you know, the fanciness of the money that's being spent. Campaign reform. Uh, we need that. We absolutely need campaign reform um, because when you see uh, every every time you mail out uh, a, a negative ad smearing a, a candidate, that's 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 thirty to fifty thousand dollars. And most of the time, it's not the candidates that are doing that. It is the um, the the PACs, the special interest PACs that are endorsing these candidates and are working on their behalf. From the dark shadows. The dark shadow, the dark money, exactly. And that's that's exactly what's happening. And that's what happened with Marie every single day. I'm not like we were getting three in my house. Um, we're getting you know two to three ads smearing uh, Marie to to, um, to to you know to try to get her out. Um, and people, a lot of people are not very educated when it comes to politics, so they don't take the time to read through things and really analyze why, um, why the smear campaign is happening. A lot of times when you see a smear campaign, I tend to kind of be reflective and sit back and think about why, are, why is the establishment working so hard to taint the name of somebody who is the third most prolific legislator in office out of the new, the new freshman class? So, I mean, she's so effective. She brought people together from, from every angle um, to work through problems on, on a public safety standpoint, on, um, um, you know, on so many different standpoints, on a, um, uh, you know, also from a foreign policy perspective, um, on the cannabis issue. So, I mean, she, she brought people to, she's bringing people together to solve problems. Why would you work so hard to get a woman <laughs> You know, progressive women. That's the other thing. I feel like there's so there. There's an attack on on women and women of of color. Yeah, there were a lot of women that I saw that lost in this election. The turnout was low. Um, I was a little surprised. Um, and when I was looking at uh, Marie Newman's race, um, it seemed like this. You know, as a journalist, I can accept criticism when I know it's coming from a candidate to another candidate. Yes. What I think yes. is wrong is when the criticism comes from these packs that just say whatever they want to say, and you, they spend 50,000 for a mailer, you have to spend 50,000 to respond to that. So it, right. it's about the money. It is completely about the money. And that's, that's why it's so horrible because it's really, it's, um, it, it doesn't, we're not on an equal footing. If you can't raise $3 million to run a race, right. I mean, is, is it, if you can't raise that much money to, I mean, if it takes votes and it takes money, but if that money is coming from, from special interest packs that are in essence buying our candidates, who, who, who then does the candidate who wins, who do they answer to? Yeah. Right. Marie, Marie Newman was very gracious in her, uh, uh, calling Sean Caston and saying she's a Democrat. She supports the Democratic Party. She was gracious to the Democratic Party. I don't believe the Democratic Party was gracious to her. No, they marginalized her. They really have. They've they've told her that your voice. Here's the thing. I mean, to be honest with you, and I don't know if they recognize that when so many of us um, here in in the Arab. Uh, South Asian and Muslim community have um, bonded with her over our issues. And they, the, the, the machine says, we don't see you as representative of this party and we are going to put you into this little corner and we're gonna take you out, erase you basically. Um, what does that say to us? They're erasing us. They're erasing us. Yeah. 
My guest on the line is Shad Malley. She's a long-term political activist. Uh, she knows politics, I think, as well as I do. I've been covering it for 45 years. She's only been covering it since she was five for the last 20 years. So I'm going to get that down there. Uh, but I and I know your family, your mother is a phenomenal person and uh, just uh, everybody was great. So we have her on to talk about some of the elections. Now, we did see one great um, bright spark for the Arab community. Uh, believe me, Marie Newman's loss is a huge loss for us. I kind of blame my own community because of the divisions and the infighting from some corners. But we did see uh, Abdel Nasser Rashid win after three tries. He unseated an incumbent who I thought took him for granted, which is the biggest mistake you can make in politics. And, and Rashid took advantage of that and won. So um, Abdel Nasser Rashid is a very, I think he's a brilliant uh, person. I mean, he's a Harvard grad. Um, he has been um, a public servant for, for a long time. Um, really smart, really sharp. And um, he ran, I mean, he wasn't running for seats that were too hard to attain. He was running for seats that were, that were um, very, uh, that, that should have been very easy for somebody like him to get. And I believe that in the commissioner position, when he ran against uh, Morrison, that we still had some democratic centrists that couldn't get themselves to vote. Yeah, and he and I spoke, I, I didn't support him the first time when he ran against Morrison. I had known Morrison for a long time. It was very hard for me to break from that. Um, over the last, since that election though, I've seen a whole different side of Sean Morrison and I'm just disgusted with myself that I even supported him and I didn't support Abdul Nasser. He came within, it shows how weak Sean Morrison is. He came within 1,377 votes of defeating the seven year incumbent mm -hmm. in office. And uh, and he almost beat him. I think he's, Morrison is a weak candidate. But since then, Abdul Nasser and I have talked. Um, I understand him better. I think sometimes that, uh, you know, we don't talk among ourselves. We don't introduce ourselves. We sometimes even stereotype ourselves, you know, politically. And uh, I think that I thought he did a great yeah. uh, campaign this time. I thought his campaign was very effective. He knew he did the polling. He did the research uh, before he even decided to uh, get into the race. And um, the he had the support. He had the support of um, a lot of different folks uh, in our community. And and that's that's what it takes to win. I mean, he was he was running for a position that he could win. He had the experience and um, he he had the support of the community and also a lot of grassroots organizations. That's what you need. I was going to say, though, you know, listen, you should assume you have the support of the community and focus on the non-community. You got to get those voters who are not Arab, who are worried about property taxes, who are worried about crime. And you have to address that. And I think he did do that. I did not hear him talk about Palestine in the Middle East, yeah. except for his opponents. Right. But he focused on the issues that homeowners and families and seniors cared about. And I thought that was a very effective strategy. And the choice issue, the pro-choice issue. I mean, he talked about that with, um, he was proud of, of um, his stance on the issue when he reassured women that he would always support 
their 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 right to choose to do what, whatever they want to do in their own, own body and they have access to healthcare all the time. That's important. It's a human rights issue. It's a woman's women uh, issues, healthcare issues, the women's rights issues. And um, anyway, so he really did uh, a wonderful job of connecting with with a lot of different folks, not not just one group, but a lot of different folks. And again, that's what you need in order to win. And can I just tell you? how um, I, I saw both uh, the, the, the community mobilized so beautifully and wonderfully for him and for Congresswoman Marie Newman to get, to get them both elected. And that, that is phenomenal. We had people that never had, had registered to vote. We had voting ambassadors dragging hundreds of people to the polls and letting them know that this primary is very important. You know, primaries are low turnout. Right. They're notoriously known for being low turnout. And um, that's what we had in, in the case of Congresswoman Marie Newman, we thought we were gonna have at least like somewhere around 60,000 turnout. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure where we are. I think we are somewhere, well, we, we got to be around that, that level, but initially we thought we were gonna be about 100,000. I was gonna say, yeah. but in a congressional district, yeah. you'd think it, the turnout would be even stronger, even in a primary but that race so between two Democrats. right? So people were very disenfranchised. I was at the polls talking to some people and they're saying, you Democrats better get your stuff together because we're going to lose. We're going to lose to the to the Republican Party. Um, that's what I was hearing left and right. Um, and I mean, you saw Pico had won against a more moderate. Right. Uh, a, a more Republican. Republican. Um, so Gary Grasso. Yeah. Yeah. He, listen, I don't agree with everything that he stood for, but he was much more moderate than Pico. Pico mm -hmm. is off the deep end. He's like way out there. And he is, uh, uh, I consider, a threat to political stability in our in that district and our community. Um, so I think it was very gracious of Marie to say to Sean, I'm going to support you despite everything that happened during that election. Right. Although I got to tell you, some people in that I've talked to were so disappointed in the way that uh, Marie was marginalized that they, they that they've even said they were going to switch parties. Yeah, we have to talk them down from that. We can't let them do that. Um, but um, it's um, it's it's been an uphill battle. And uh, but but the uh, momentum that I see again every time. And what was wonderful about Marie running and, and getting the support of the community is this: she's a South Side Irish woman who got who got the strong, strong support of our community this this time around. Really strong support. I mean, um, many um, early vote rallies for her. Um, it just wasn't enough with the kind of the machine working against her. If the machine would have just stayed neutral and uh, less biased and given her a chance she would have uh, done much better. Well, the nice thing about congressional elections is you really serve one year and then you're back into an election campaign. Oh, it's so actually three months, could... after, three months after. No, it's here's the thing. Even after you win an election, right. three months into your term serving in, in March, you got to start running again to raise money. Right. I mean, seeing the behind the scenes, um, it's, uh, it's absolutely amazing to me. It has to change because that's not what we are, you know, when you are elected as a, as a, uh, elected official to serve the public, you are not elected to raise money. <laughs> you are elected to serve the public. Right. Yeah. And then suddenly you're forced to focus on something that you may not have. We only got a couple minutes left. Any final thoughts about, uh, the elections that we went through? Uh, I know there were a couple other candidates 
that uh, Nabil Said, I think, uh, won a state rep uh, uh, nomination. Oh, beautiful. She she won and she won. Um, she's very young. I mean, she's relatively inexperienced, but uh, she connect very smart, brilliant uh, girl and, and uh, got the support of the community and got the support of mainstream um, constituents. So she resonated. She and people want that fresh, uh, young energy. Yeah. And yeah. What, what would you say to the community in terms of moving forward in politics? I mean, what have you learned about politics that might help them to better understand how to be successful? Thank you so much for asking that question, because I think so often we think the most important thing is to run, to run. And, and you are elected as an, an elected leader and uh, to serve the public. But really, where the power lies and, it, of course, continue to do that, but also intern, intern on uh, uh, government staff in, on every level, local um, as well as state and federal. So that's one thing I would say, make sure you get in and, and it's, it's pretty much if you prove yourself and you show that you're an asset, uh, you'll go far. And that's what I would say to people. Don't just think that the way to public service is to run for office. It's, it's to get your foot in the door, learn the process. There's a lot of bureaucracy and you have to know the process in order to be effective. Um, and, and, and in order to represent yourself on, um, represent your community on the issues that, that, that they care about. Shad Malley has a lot of experience in political consulting, political activism. Uh, she was invited here on that basis, but um, obviously she is also chief of uh, district affairs for Congressman Marie Newman. But we invited her to talk about the political aspects of politics and elections overall. Shad, we really appreciate you uh, joining us. Um, and is there a website where you want people to go? Do you have a website for your I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. No, you uh, got to set one up. We got to get you one. All <laughs> right. And we got to have you back on talking about elections and stuff. Shad Malley, my guest. Thank you so much, Shad. Thank you, Ray, for having me. It's a great pleasure. Uh, it, it really has been fun to talk to you. Um, I just want to thank everybody for listening to the radio show uh, this past hour. We're here every Wednesday next week. Uh, we're going to do a program on the Eid. Um, to talk about why it's so important to help Americans and even the community better understand uh, Eid al-Adha. Uh, we also have a uh, possibility, I know Blinken staff, the Secretary of State, and Ned Price, the spokesperson, have indicated they may come on the show because Biden is going to be traveling to the Gulf, so we may be able to talk to them next week. We'll see what happens. Um, but this is the, one of the very few places where you can learn about Arab Americans and Arab American politics. Shad Malley, thank you so much. Uh, we also want to thank uh, Samer Khalif of the National President of ADC. I'm Ray Hanania. Uh, go to ArabNews.com to get more information on this radio show. We will see you next Wednesday here at five o'clock Eastern Time on WNZK in Detroit and WDMV in Washington, D.C. And remember, 12 noon in Chicago on Thursday on 1080 a.m. You can hear this show. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. WNZK.